Good afternoon, good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you are on equal footing. I am as excited about tonight's show as I have been about any topic that we've covered in the last uh, couple of years. We've kind of flippantly entitled the show Love Scent, and it's about pheromones and mating. And we're going to get into what a, what pheromones are and how we how we connect to this concept of pheromones to mating in humans it's been well established in mammals and insects and even uh, microbial creatures and so forth so it's a uh, but it's up for debate in in humans there's been a lot of research around this the reason i'm so excited about this is that i have been almost pathologically sensitive to smell since as long as I can remember. Everything, whether it had to do with foods or smelling the school bus as a kid or smelling the faint sense of mold in a building or whatever, I've just always had an incredibly acute sense of smell. And I know that there's, you know, our guests tonight can even help us diagnose that type of thing. Sometimes people in a certain sensory uh, input have are extra extra sensitive. As I started to date in my late teen years, I realized how that incredible sense sensitivity to olfactory stimuli to smell was affecting my own feelings of attraction to people of the opposite sex. And I happen to be heterosexual, so that's the case for me. It could be the same sex in the in the case of of someone who's gay. The point is that I was affected so acutely by this that in my 20, I would, I was embarrassed to talk about it and I actually ended a couple of relationships, not to mention all of the relationships that never started as a result of somehow being turned off from a smell. Relationships that did start because I felt so attracted to someone's smell. I can't even believe I'm talking about this on the air, but I even had a couple of relationships in my twenties that I ended because I, even though I really cared for the person, I couldn't, I couldn't continue <laughs> to be with that person's smell, even though no one else noticed it. And only in, as I've opened up about this with some friends over the years as later in my adult life and done some scientific research on it as best as I can as a layman, have I felt that I'm not alone. And the sense of smell may be in fact our most important when it comes to the mating experience and broadly in terms of the way that we interpret the world even though most people just if you said what is the one sensory input you know between sight and touch and smell and taste etc that they would you know in hearing that they would let go of most people say smell even though it's proven that smell is most attached to our memory for example and smell and taste are uh are inextricably connected and it smell is such a big part of our uh of our emotional life. Anyway, we are really honored to have one of the world's foremost expert on olfactory stimuli and how it affects us neurologically and uh, psychologically and in our interaction with individuals. I'm joined here by Dr. Alan 
Hirsch. And Dr. Hirsch is the neurological director of the Smell and Taste Research and Treatment Foundation. He's a board-certified neurologist. He's also a certified psychiatrist. And he focuses on smell and taste. He's also the medical director of the Illinois Center for Neurological and Behavioral Medicine. Dr. Hirsch's bio is very impressive. I, I, I'm going to summarize it, but you got to hear some of this. He's certified by the American Board of Neurology and Psychology, also certified in pain, mes- pain medicine, geriatric psych- psychiatry, addiction psychiatry, and, ba- and brain injury medicine. He's conducted in-depth studies on the chemosensory system and its relation to all aspects of our life, the effects of aromas on our behavior, our emotions, our mood, and yes, our interactions with other individuals and our mating life. Dr. Hirsch is a renowned inventor and investigative researcher in the areas of smell and taste, and he lectures across the country, has extensively published many of of his findings in various studies, which I'll get to in a moment. He served as an expert on smell and taste for CNN, Good Morning America, Dateline, 2020, The Oprah Winfrey Show, CBS Early Show, Extra, etc. And his expertise has been utilized by many national and local government and agencies such as attorney general's offices at the state level, even the EPA, and even the attorney general of the United States. He's two articles in particular led me to Dr. Hirsch and our research for this show. This show is almost a year in coming, given uh, the, the background research, and I actually expect it's going to become part of a series: the effect of smell on our lives. Um, two of those uh, articles: one was the olfactory stimuli and sexual response in the human female, which Dr. Hirsch wrote with Deborah Zagorski in the late '90s, and then a follow-up. A uh, publication called The Human Male Sexual Response to Olfactory Stimuli that Dr. Hirsch uh, uh, penned with Jason Gruss in 2014. Dr. Hirsch is on the editorial advisory board of the Professional Journal of Sports Fitness. He's also a reviewer for peer-reviewed medical publications such as the Journal of Neurology, Neurosurgery and, and Psychiatry, Physiology and Behavior, Laryngoscope, and the Journal of the Neurological Sciences, just to name a few. Dr. Hirsch received his BA and his MD degrees from the University of Michigan and in Ann Arbor and completed his medical residencies in both neurology and psychiatry at the Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. And finally, you got to look up Dr. Alan Hirsch's books, some really uh, interesting reads, Sensational Sex, that's S-C-E-N-T, starts the word, Sensational Sex is one. Another is What Flavor is Your Personality? Another one is Life's a Smelling Success. And my favorite is How to Tell if Your Teenager is Lying. <laughs> it's also through, uh, often through Sense of, of Smell. Dr. Hirsch, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you for joining us in your busy schedule. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. Dr. Hirsch, let's get us started without getting too nerdy, because most of our listeners are not going to have the scientific background that you have. First of all, what are pheromones, and do we know they exist in humans? What great questions. The answer is, pheromone is a chemical that's released by one sex of the species to the X to attract the opposite sex of the species. Remember when you're in high school and you'd study about moths and they described how a female moth would release a pheromone 
that would attract a male moth over a kilometer away. And and that's a classic example of of pheromones. And we really don't know whether they exist in humans or not, although there's a lot of evidence suggesting that they might. So, for instance, pheromones exist throughout the entire animal kingdom and every species that's ever been studied. And things anywhere from insects to subhuman primates. So if it's that important evolutionarily for the existence in, in other animals, you'd expect it would exist in humans as well. So let's... There's also... Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. And there's also some um, anatomic evidence suggesting that pheromones might exist in humans. So for instance, we sweat. We sweat through eccrine glands. And when we, after we exercise, we sweat uh, all over our body. But when, when you're, there's, uh, there's also apocrine glands that are under our arms and around our genitalia, and these release high-density steroids. We don't know what these do in humans, but in subhuman primates, that's where pheromones are released as well. Yeah, there's so a there's all, a raging debate going on in the scientific community, as I understand it, as raging as a debate like this can be, about we know pheromones exist in in lots of animals and insects, and, and as I understand, the question is, you know, are these pheromones uh, producing mating responses in humans? And there's, and we're going to talk about some of these studies. There's, there's quite a bit of of studies that 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 uh, lead to conclusions on both sides of the debate. But to step back for a second, Dr. Hirsch. Uh, so just to separate out pheromones from other uh, odors. Now, our, our, as I understand it, there are two olfactory or smell systems that we have, right? One is the standard system to smell, you know, odorants that, that, uh, you know, everything from smelling a, a gas leak to food that we like or whatever that, that, that helps us, uh, live and enjoy life. And then there are pheromones, which are actually, as I understand it, Measured by a different system, and I'm probably going to get this this pronunciation wrong. But the vomeronasal organ, the what we'll call VNO, uh, which is which is actually the, a different olfactory system that helps you sense pheromones. Is that is that correct? Do I have that right in a labels sure, terms? Sure. Well, that's wonderful, and you're right. There's there's a lot of controversy about it. Let the simple. Let's start with the simple one. The when we smell, smells go up to the, to the top of our nose, and then go through and bind to the olfactory nerve, which is way at the top of our nose, and the odors then enter through the cribriform plate into the skull and into the brain, through the skull and into the brain. And that's how we detect smells. Well, in, in around that same area, there's something called the vomeronasal organ. We don't know, there's several things we don't know about it. We don't know what it does in humans. We know that in subhuman primates, that's where pheromones act. And we, we, and it, it's still in many humans it exists, although there's some controversy about it. Uh, uh, Dr. Dick Doty at the University of Pennsylvania has actually written a book suggesting that, that human pheromones probably don't exist and that the vermonasal organ is a, just a, a vestigial residual uh, area. Right, that, the, the, the uh, pheromone myth or, or something like that, right? Exactly. So it, we're not 100% sure. That this, that this even exists or is active in humans. It might be like the appendix, sort of residual and not doing very much. Let's, so that, that's one possibility. But, you know, forgetting anatomy for a second, there's a lot of behavioral studies that suggest that pheromones might exist in humans. Now, why right. is this so important? Anyhow, well, part of it has to do with the idea of determinism versus free will. You know, it's 
you know, we all like to feel we have free will with everything we do. We, uh, you know, we make our own decisions. Well, if there's some sort of odor in the air, a pheromone in the air that's making us attractive to another, uh, to another member of our species, to another, to opposite sex, it would suggest that it has nothing to do with free will. It would suggest it's biologically programmed. Right. Let's take a step back for a moment, Doctor, and we're talking here about the love scent, pheromones and mating in in humans. We know that pheromones, these marker, and by the way, pheromones comes from the Greek pheron, which is transfer and hormone to excite. So this like transfer of excitement that we put out through smell. We know this exists in the animal kingdom. That's indisputed. Uh, the, the concept of pheromone was first kind of named and discovered in 1959 by a couple of research at the, uh, the Max Planck Institute. But there's over the last 20, 30 years, tremendous amount of literature on whether pheromones are active in the mating process of humans. As Dr. Hirsch, who's a world-renowned expert on this topic, just said, it's the question is, you know, how much is this is free will and how much is pre-programmed? Dr. Hirsch, before we take our first break, I want to hit a couple of these studies just to break it down for the layman who's listening as well. And because most of us instinctively know that sm- smell has an impact on our sexual attraction or our feeling of being repelled sexually from another person. One study that kind of set a lot of these studies in motion was a study from the 1990s called the, the commonly colloquially called the t-shirt study. Can you walk us through what that was? Oh, sure. We well, you know there, there are a whole there are a whole series of studies that sort of, that look at the idea that pheromones might actually exist in humans, that there might be some odor in the air that's released from one sex that's acting on the opposite sex, or acting almost like a, a hormone in the body would act, but acts in the air. And I, I think a lot of this comes back to something called the college roommate effect. The college roommate effect is, is, is described how an individual, when a woman enter freshman year in, in college and they live in the dormitories, when they begin, their menstrual cycles are asynchronous. But by midterm, those who live in the same hall, their menstrual cycles tend to be synchronized, suggesting there may be a, a pheromone that's released that's in training uh, from one woman that's in training all the other hormonal cycles to become the same t- at the same period. So uh, this is a, a strong evidence suggesting that pheromones actually exist, maybe not through sexual uh, attraction, but at least they, they exist to affect the endocrine system. Well, there's other evidence as well. So, for instance, when if you look at a uh, a woman who's who and uh, you put on top of her lip a uh, some uh, sweat that has been released from another woman, and what happens is, is their menstrual cycles will synchronize the, the, to the donor's menstrual cycle. And all of this suggests that odors can have an impact uh, on a, as, a, as a pheromone. We did a study uh, several years back where we looked at the impact of a potential pheromone. What we did is we looked at uh, a potential pheromone and we placed it underneath chairs in in uh, in the hospital where Grand Rounds was, was held, and we, what we did is we found we we put them in random different spots, and we found that where the pheromone, where the potential female pheromone was placed, uh, male medical students and residents and phys- and uh, attending physicians tended to clump, tend to sit in those areas, suggesting that the pheromone may be acting to attract 
those are the opposite sex. Yeah, and there's been a lot of studies, since this, this Swiss study from the 1990s, a t-shirt study, has been so many studies confirming that from the axillary glands, like the, 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 the sweat from under the armpits when put on swaths of, of, of cloth, that people are attracted and repelled to different types of smells. That, no question about that. The question is why, and does it have to do with genetic compatibility, romantic compatibility, etc.? There was one study I read that was referenced in one of your uh, publications, Dr. Hirsch, that actually talked about tears and the fact that uh, the smell of, of, of tears uh, had a reduction, an immediate reduction in penile blood flow and in, in male sexual arousal. It raised intimacy, but kind of you know signaled romances off the table. So there's all sorts of interesting uh, connections between smell and sexual arousal of both men and women and the mating process in general. We're going to take our first break. Participate in this discussion with a world-renowned expert on the connection between smell and mating, this concept of, of pheromones, it's still very much up for scientific debate. Dr. Alan Hirsch is the neurological director uh, of uh, the Smell and Taste Treatment and Research Foundation in Chicago. Participate in the conversation by calling 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. As always on Equal Footing, you can call in anonymously or sell your name, whatever you're more comfortable with. And you can also text any comments or questions. We've already gotten a few from people that know this number from the past, 917-428-4062. Don't call that number. That's my cell phone. That's to text or WhatsApp a question or comment for Dr. Hirsch on this topic of pheromones and mating, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical is not just for those of you living in the New York area or Manhattan. It's for anyone in the United States, because you can do it by telehealth consult, who is dealing with the emotionally painful issue of erectile dysfunction. Get out of the dark on this issue. End the silence. It affects a majority of men in their lifetime. It prevents often... The ability to have enjoyable sex and can affect emotional connections and partnership. Get help. Those expensive blue pills are not the only option. And because of comorbidities and other issues, side effects, they are not available as a remedy to everyone anyway. There are other methods out there to treat erectile dysfunction. There's a new effective gains wave therapy. It's used by Manhattan Medical. It can help achieve excellent Results. The Gaines Wave Therapy method for erectile dysfunction is non-invasive, it's surgery-free, and it's painless. No side effects, and for most patients, wonderful results. Check this out. You know, our sponsors on Equal Footing in general have come to the program through some sort of personal connection, and I'll be open about the fact that in the case of Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction, this came to me through a very good friend and business partner who's in his 80s, and he had issues of erectile dysfunction, missed having an active sex life. The Gaines Wave Therapy worked for him. If it can work for him, it can work for you. 
Call for a free consultation. That's a tw- that's a two hundred fifty dollar value. If you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction on the Equal Footing Radio Show, call for a free consultation anywhere in the United States. Eight 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 E D Q R nine. That's eight 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 E D Q R nine. Or in numbers eight 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 three three two eight seven three nine. That's eight 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 three three two. 8739. Call about Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. Operators are standing by. Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here with Dr. Alan Hirsch, and we're talking about the love scent, pheromones, and mating. Dr. Hirsch, I was embarrassed and kind of in the closet on this issue only until the last few years. I, I mentioned in the out in the uh, intro to the show that I have literally had relationships. Remember one really, my first really serious relationship in my 20s, I thought we might even get married. We started to live together. And as soon as we moved in together, I just, I, 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 I couldn't, uh, I was being repelled by her smell and it was a smell no one else noticed it wasn't classic you know body odor it was just there was something about the person i was with that that just didn't work for me and i always kind of knew it but I, I i was embarrassed about it i figured that's not a good reason to end a relationship and ultimately i told a white lie at the time i didn't want to tell her it was because I, I you know there's her smell didn't work for me but i am somewhat even embarrassed 20, more than 20 years later on the air to say I actually ended that, that very serious relationship after we moved in together, primarily for that reason. There was, we were compatible in so many other ways, but there were especially certain times of the month that may have had to do with her menstrual cycle or ovulatory cycle, but also at other times there was just, I, I, I just, uh, it just didn't work for me. Dr. Hirsch, am I, Am I a weirdo? How many people experience this? You know, is there help for someone like me? Well, you know, you ask a great question, and maybe I can give you a perspective on it. And that is, smell really has a major influence on all of us and everything we do. Literally, there's an invisible universe at the tip of our nose that's impacting upon virtually any decision we make, whether it be how quickly we learn whether we like somebody or dislike someone, whether we, uh, how well we exercise. So one of the things that we found is that after people lost their sense of smell from head trauma and the like, that what happened is that about 17% developed sexual dysfunction. So the idea came up that there might be some sort of relationship between odors and sexual arousal. And we're not the first one to describe this. Freud, over 100 years ago, said that in order to remain a civilized society, we had to repress our olfactory instincts. Otherwise, we'd walk around sexually excited all the time. And even before them, uh, him, in ancient Egypt, you know, thousands of years ago, there were rooms that were involved with perfumes for sexual arousal. Or in ancient Pompeii, there's a whole room for perfumes and sexual arousal. So this has and, been and well Dr. Hirsch, I'm sorry, pardon me for the, the interruption, but for those Jewish listeners who are thinking, yeah, but, you know, this doesn't really exist in our texts. Uh-uh. The Talmud has several references to effectively what we would call pheromones today. Uh, Rav Lazar and, and, uh, and Rav, uh, Rava stories of the differentiation between where they would try to smell out the what they would call the, the blood of desire. 
uh, between women and men. Um, there are various textual ancient Jewish references to aphrodisiacs, uh, and and even even for example, uh, Maimonides refers to the Rambam refers to it, it, it on, on on Shabbat and the, and the Sabbath that that part of the ritual we many observant Jews know you're supposed to kind of experience sexual pleasure on the Sabbath if you're not in the period of Nidah in the period that which you can be that you're not supposed to be intimate if if you can you're supposed to be intimate uh during the during the Sabbath and in fact it, it said in the text that uh things like beets and and fish and garlic heads can function as aphrodisiac so it, it, in the Jewish tradition as well this stuff goes back hundreds and even thousands of years well, you know so it it clearly it occurs cross culturally and over time so there's very strong evidence that what happened with you and your girlfriend is sort of interesting because we all express our underlying DNA in the way we smell. We have uh, the something called the MHC, the major histability complex, is something that is released in our sweat, and it, it impacts upon how we smell. And so, and so if we're too similar in terms of our MHC, we are likely, if we mate, we're likely to have a, a greater degree of genetic defects, and therefore... People tend to prefer those who smell different than them. So or, you're, or you're saying, Doctor Hirsch, that the 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 MHC, which is critical, and we'll put some of this in the show notes, critical to understanding uh, the way w- what we perceive with smell. It's kind of our genetic marker, in a sense, that it's not only dictating whether you're attracted to someone, but also whether there's like compatibility immunologically and genetically. Exactly, because remember, if we're genetically too similar, you're much more likely to have birth defects. Right. So you want to. We have to have more of a heterogeneous DNA for it to work. And what with our smell, with the odor that we exude, we express what our underlying DNA is. And that could be one reason why one is repelled by people who are too similar to you, or attracted to those who are more different. So does that mean in the case of my of my girlfriend in my twenties? We're talking over twenty years ago now. And even though I felt we were so compatible at so many levels, was I picking up on the fact that genetically we might have problems if 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 we if we procreated? Hate to be so scientific about it. It's simply possible. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we set out to do is we set out to look at the this idea that odors can impact upon not only whether we like someone or not, but our degree of sexual arousal. So what we did is we ended up looking at, you know what, despite all that's written, it's never been studied how odors can impact upon sexual arousal. So we set out to study males, and we looked at male medical students, and we had enough volunteers who told me that they could be part of the study or take calls, so we had a whole host of volunteers, and we looked at, at penile blood flow, and we studied all sorts of different floral smells and perfumes. And and, and, uh, and for those non-scientists, so penile blood flow is, is the primary or easy indicator for male sexual arousal. Exactly. So, so if you're aroused, the, the blood's flowing into the penis. If you're if you're if you're if you're the opposite, you're repelled. You you that blood flow decreases. Exactly right. What's the and equivalent? So we, sorry to interrupt your flow, but what's the equivalent in in your studies in, in measuring 
female arousal? Did you have a simple marker like penile blood flow in the? In yes, we we measured vaginal blood flow as well, and in, in, in other studies, and we looked at how odors can impact on female sexual as well arousal as well. But originally, when we looked at, at male sexual arousal, we looked at, at medical students and we studied the perfumes and colognes, and as a control. An odor we thought would have no effect at all, we threw in the smell of baked cinnamon buns. And wouldn't you know, the baked cinnamon buns had a greater effect than all the perfumes put together. So, you know, I wasn't sure what it could it meant. It could just mean that medical students are always hungry. You don't know in that group. How, how, uh, many, so we then, how many aromas did you use in the study kind of as a control? Well, in, 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 in that, that was just a pilot study. So we only looked about at about 10 different odors. Ten different florals, smells, and perfumes, and then in the baked cinnamon buns. Because I, I read in one asked, of your articles, I was fascinated by it. I, I, I think it was in that in male sexual response to olfactory stimuli that the combination, if I remember correctly, of lavender and pumpkin pie. I'm not even kidding, guys. If you're listening, you're thinking I'm pulling your leg. It was was the most effective combination in terms of male sexual arousal, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. We studied males in the general population ages 18 to 64, and we studied all sorts of more floral smells and perfumes and a whole bunch more food items. And we found, as you said, the number one odor that enhanced penile blood flow was lavender and pumpkin pie. Number two was donuts and black licorice. And number three was pumpkin pie and donuts. However, there was individual variation. So the older the man, the greater the engorgement was vanilla. Those who were most sexually satisfied had the greatest increase with strawberry. And those with the most frequent sexual intercourse had the greatest increase with lavender, oriental spice, and cola. We could do a whole and show it, on this, but give give us the, the 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 headline on why you have these changes in terms of age. Like you, vanilla, you're more sexually aroused earlier than strawberry later in life. Help us out here. Well, you know, I, I don't know really why we had some hypotheses. We thought, well, maybe because when they're when they're uh, uh, if they were older, maybe they were exposed to vanilla and perfumes when they were younger with some sort of a Pavlovian condition response. I mean, to give you an idea of what sort of changes these were, perfumes increased uh, penile blood flow by a median of about 3% compared to 5% for cheese pizza, 9% for buttered popcorn, and 40% for lavender and pumpkin pie. So it was a huge difference in, in impact. Okay. Uh, and I'm not even... I'm not even sure why it was food items. You wouldn't normally think food sure. would induce sexual arousal. But maybe it, evolutionarily it makes sense that in our distant past, we tended to wander around relatively independently in the forest, and we tend to congregate at points where there's food. Right. And that's where you have the greatest chance of finding a mate and having successful procreation. So I guess it makes some sense that food odors would enhance uh, penile sexual arousal. I did see some of those postulates in, in some of the studies around how food is so connected to uh, also to the health, right? So that if, you're, if you're eating certain types of foods and we're likely to be healthier, have a varied diet, uh, et cetera. And of course, perfumes have been around you know, since the Sumerians. It's probably way before that, but we have, you know, 5,500, 6,000 years of anthropological knowledge of perfumes and the search for aphrodisiacs. Uh, rose petals, for example, as I saw in a number of articles across many cultures, has been used for hundreds, if not thousands of years and, and produces sexual arousal on, on, on both sides of the equation. Um, we've, I, we're going to take a break in a minute. We're talking about pheromones and mating with one of the world's subject matter experts, Dr. Alan Hirsch, gracious to be joining us here on Equal Footing, talking about smells and how they affect our sexual arousal or our sexual, uh, our feeling of being sexually repelled. 
I'm so glad I don't, I'm not alone on this, <laughs> Dr. Hirsch. We do have a caller waiting. We have some great comments and questions. One I'm going to get to right away just because it's on the topic of the history of aphrodisiacs and the history of, of pheromones. And uh, one listener recommends, if you're interested in the connection between uh, the history of Jewish thought and uh, aphrodisiacs and pheromonic impact on mating. Of course, they wouldn't call it pheromones at that point because that's a recent scientific discovery in the 20th century. Look up The Aroma of Righteousness by Deborah Green. This has actually been recommended now by two people. The Aroma of Righteousness by Deborah Green. Order that on Amazon. We'll get to you, caller, on the line right after the break. You can call in to participate at 718-303-9090. You can also at 718-303-9090. You can also text a comment or question by WhatsApp or SMS to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be back talking about Love Scent with Dr. Alan Hirsch. Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Love is in the air, every sight and every sound. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman with Dr. Alan Hirsch. We're talking about pheromones and mating, the effect of smell on our sexual arousal, our mating instincts. Dr. Hirsch, I want to get you back on the air. There's so much I want to talk about here. We get to some caller uh, questions and, and audience comments. If you're wondering, if you're listening to this program and you're like, yes, I know what that's about. I feel that. Like I'm attracted to people by their smell. It's an important part of the relationship. There are options out for out there for you in the online dating world. NYU has a program, not even kidding here. You can, we'll put it in the show notes. You can, you can look it up and look up NYU smell dating. The name of the program is smell dating. It is a collaborative, uh, kind of, um, a B Corp project, so it's kind of a, a for-profit entity, but supporting the nonprofit work of NYU's uh, research. And what they do is you you wear, not even kidding here, guys, you wear a T-shirt for a few days. You're allowed to shower, but you can't use any deodorant, and you're you're encouraged to work out. And basically, your axillary area, you're under your armpits, you know, you're sweating into that, other parts of your body, anywhere you have a lot of your skin secretes the most uh uh, smell, and so you, you, you get that smell, your sweat, et cetera, on the t-shirt. 
Then you send them the T-shirt, they cut it into little pieces, and they send out to potential matches. Uh, and then they do the same for you, and they put it in a in a baggie so that it's uh, you know the, the, as little as possible to smell um, uh, is 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 kind of ameliorated or dissipates over time. And you then see which smell you like, and then they set up a, an in-person meeting. Um, there are a number of these programs that you can find. The most serious is seem, seems to be this NYU smell dating, but there are a number of smell-based social media options out there. Dr. Hirsch, have you heard of this stuff? Is this crazy, or you think it's like, okay, about time? Well, you know, it, it, it's a great idea. Uh, and uh, then you can see how compatible you are. One of the things that we looked at as well is we looked at the idea of what, now that we discovered that odors can induce male sexual arousal, uh, you know, we then had the idea, well, how, you know, we don't, what induces female sexual arousal? So we studied that looking at vaginal blood flow, and we studied all sorts of different floral smells and perfumes and a whole bunch of foods with the idea the two different hypotheses. Number one was that it made no evolutionary sense for one sex to be aroused while the other wasn't. Right. If right. a food odor is aroused, men should arouse women. And the second hypothesis was that since in our society, women are often involved in preparation of food, which is not a very sexually exciting experience for them, food odors would have a negative effect. So we had both bases covered. And what we found was we measured female sexual arousal. We found the number one odor enhanced uh, women's sexual arousal was a combination of good and plenty and cucumber, although good and plenty and banana nut bread also had very positive effects. Good and plenty, the, can- the candy? Exactly. Now, we did find some differences between men and women. In men, every single odor we tested enhanced penile blood flow, suggesting men are easy to arouse. Whereas with women, that wasn't the case. Some odors acted to inhibit sexual arousals. For instance, the smell of cherries, the smell of barbecued roasting meat, and the smell of men's cologne all inhibited female sexual arousal. And I guess it makes some sense. Maybe the cherries reminded women of taking cherry cough medicine as a child, or maybe uh, the men's cologne reminded them of going out with men, which was a negative experience for them. But I guess the bottom line of that is if the aim of a man wearing perfume is to, or cologne is to induce female sexual arousal, they should throw away the cologne and go get some good and plenty. <laughs> okay. So, Dr. Hirsch, some of let, let let's take a couple of of listener uh, comments and questions because uh, some of these I, I think just have to be we have to get them on on the air. Quite a quite a, a a bunch of comments here. Let me um into this first one. Hang on. It has to do in general. I'm going to get to the exact question in a second, but it has to do with whether eating certain foods. Uh, affects the smell of uh, a woman's genitalia and whether that affects uh, sexual arousal in the man. And I believe the question specifically, uh, kidding aside, has to do with pineapples. Um, so can you address that question in general? And then I'm going to get the exact phrasing in a moment, but uh, and specifically about pineapples. Well, I can, in general, I can address it and suggest to you that it's true that some of the food we eat is excreted through the skin. So, for instance, uh, uh, garlic uh, and uh, onions, the aliaceous uh, 
vegetables will induce people to exude an odor. Uh, of, of, similarly, alcohol, some of it will go through the skin as well. So that can impact upon how you smell, and it's in, in, both in your breath, in your skin, and in the mucosa throughout the body. So clearly it can have an impact. Um, what it, it brings up another question, though, and something that we've been studying very extensively over the last several decades, and that is the idea that what you that you can actually use the food you like as a way of indicating the understanding an individual's underlying personality, and you can see what your date is ordering in the restaurant and get an idea of what they're like as an underlying person. One of the challenges we have is when we go out with somebody on a date, the first date, you really have very little idea of what they're like because we all put up a mask and we try and put our best foot forward when we go out with someone. But it may take several dates later till you know, boy, they really aren't anything like what you initially anticipated. Well, wouldn't it be nice to know what they were like when you first met them? And that's what we ended up exploring, is looking at using food preferences sort of like a Rorschach test. You see those ink blots, and you can see a butterfly or a bat, and depending on how you interpret it, you can gain insight into personality. We did the same thing with food, because literally every single thing we do reflects our underlying personality, the so, uh, direction you comb your hair, the style, the tie you wear. Sure, they're all signals, mating signals. So, Dr. Hirsch, just out of respect for listeners, I got to the specific phrasing is, does eating pineapple affect the smell and pH of my vagina? That's the question. Well, I don't know. Uh, I I guess to affect pH, it would have to be an awful lot of pineapple uh, because the body regulates that so well. But uh, I don't know if it it's not something that, that I recall having anybody having studied in the past. Okay. So, and, uh, and, and we're going to get to call in a sec. One more uh, question is with respect to compatibility, uh, the, several questions that get to whether a combination in, in terms of uh, secretions changes when you're dating someone. So when you're dating someone, are there changes in, in secretions in the genitalia, in smell, or in your skin uh, in, in, in general if you're kind of dating the right mate or the wrong mate? Well, I, I think there is, and for several reasons. One is we have something called miswanism, where we, we have neophobia. We don't like new things. We avoid new foods. We avoid new people. And when you finally get to be with somebody, you tend to eat more. Initially, you, you have very different food appetites. And over time, people's food, the food they eat, generally comes together. As it converges, your diet becomes much more similar, and hence your, your, the aroma that's exuded from your body becomes much more similar. And, and that's the changes over time. But there's only one component. The other component has to do with how happy you are unhappy or angry you are, because that will impact upon the amount of berries that are released, and that will impact upon how you, your aroma. Right. Caller on line four, you've been very patient. Uh, what's your question for Dr. Hirsch on the love set? <laughs> this is a Valentine's Day show or a New Year's Eve show, my friend. A, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me tonight. It's that type of show. I mean, it's You're right, Valentine's Day. Better program, but you know, you know, you know what? These, this these dark, this dark period of the year. I mean, literally dark with the, <laughs> with the, with not as much sunshine. People often get depressed. It's like a good time to talk about love and, and mating and the scent, the scent of a woman, the scent of a man. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! 
Uh, I take great exception to what this guy is saying. I don't know how he attracts women himself. Maybe he takes cucumbers with him. I don't know. But the harsh reality of the world is I'm in a room with people, and I see a gorgeous blonde woman across the room. It has nothing to do with scent. The initial attraction has always been eye contact, which leads to the brain, which then gives the sweats, and then you head over and weave your way over. Scent has nothing to do with it in the initial stages. In fact, it's minimal. Men, by the way, cologne sales are on a, a downturn for the last 10 or 15 years. I don't know what he's talking about. Men wear cologne, not, not today because of the environment and so forth. Hey, I wear aftershave. That's as far as it goes. But uh, I think the guy's out of touch with foods, certain foods. When you're going out to dinner, I don't think, uh, oh, you eat uh, chili con carne? Oh, no, I eat, oh, that's going to get it. That doesn't work. It's the attraction of eye contact, meeting. Well, I don't, think, so- I don't think Dr. Hirsch is saying it's the only stimuli that affects mating and sexual arousal. Hey, pheromones you can buy yeah. in the store. Did you know that? You well, can buy in the store. Dr. Hirsch, is, is the caller right? Can, can you buy pheromones in the store? Absolutely. Let's let's hear well, let's hear the expert. We, do, we don't really even know that human pheromones exist. So they do, and you combine them. I know for a fact it's been done. So, doctor, it, I've known uh, some of the uh, stores in New York. You could sell it in a perfume type form. Have majority well, pheromones. To, to be fair Absolutely. to the caller, pheromones do exist. That we know in the animal kingdom. They, they, there is a debate about whether they exist in, in whether they have an impact in in the human. Uh, animal and, and whether our, our veromonasal, our VNO, our veromonasal organ, our VNO system, you know, is, is kind of latent, like, uh, you know, something that we actually use anymore. But, um, Dr. Hirsch, what's, to, to someone with the, the dubiousness that this caller uh, has on the impact of olfactory, you know, smell stimuli on, on mating, what would, what would you, what would you uh, say to convince him otherwise? He's 100% right that vision has a strong influence on sexual attraction. And, uh, but the part of the brain that we think about smell is the olfactory lobe, and that's part of the limbic system or the emotional brain. So the quickest way to change somebody's mood state or uh, emotions quicker than any other sensory modality is with smell. You'll smell a smell, you decide, I like it or I don't like it. And then you figure out what it is, a rose, a lilac whatever, whereas with, with vision, it's totally the opposite. You'll see a picture, and you'll, you'll process the picture. You'll see a picture of a, of a cow or a tree or horse. You'll process it, and then you'll decide if you like it or not. With smell, it's a pure emotional sense. So clearly, initially from a distance, you have vision, and as you get closer, smell takes over in terms of affecting emotion, mood state, and sexual arousal. Let's take one more listener comment before we take our, our last break. Listener writes that, uh, I've read that sleeping babies are able to differentiate between pads worn by their own or by strange mothers. And this seems to indicate that babies know their mother's order, odor, or maybe the other way around. Maybe the mother is unconsciously marking her baby with a distinctive scent. Do you want to, is it, have you heard of, the, of this? Is, is this uh, play into our topic tonight? Absolutely correct. You know, smell is, is such an important aspect that our preferences are impacted even not only with, during breastfeeding, but even in utero. So, for instance, if the mother eats drinks a lot of carrot juice, the infant will prefer the smell of carrots. 
or if you eat a lot of garlic, you will prefer the smell of garlic. So our exposure to foods is is, is a very young or in utero impact our decision to like or dislike foods later on in life. We're going to take our last break. You're on equal footing with Dr. Alan Hirsch speaking very openly about a pretty complex scientific topic, and that's pheromones and mating. Fire in your questions and comments to 917-428-4062. We may have time for one more caller. You can call into 718-303-9090, and we'll be right back. Well, on a totally different note, have you been looking for an auto body and repair shop you can trust in the Catskills region? We're talking about like Orange County, Sullivan County, etc. Whether you've been in an accident or you need an affordable mechanic for brakes, tires, or alignments, Liberty Collision will always give you a fair price, reliable estimate, and on-time service. Conveniently located in the center of the Catskills region in Liberty, New York, and serving not only Sullivan County and Orange County, but also Ulster and Delaware counties, Liberty Collision will pick up your vehicle, drop it back off, works with all major insurance companies. Call 845-292-0977 and let the Liberty Collision team take care of you. That's 845-292-0977. Car repairs do not have to be stressful. Liberty Collision is a family-owned business. It has a five-star rating on CarWise, and and they will treat you like family. So call Liberty Collision at 845-292-0977 for all of your auto repair needs. Ask for Keith and mention that you heard about it on Equal Footing and you get a 50% discount off an alignment. Again, say you heard it on Equal Footing, you get a 50% discount on an alignment, which is about $150 value. All right, call Liberty Collision, 845-292-0977. We're back on Equal Footing. Dr. Alan Hirsch is with me. I'm Dove Tusman, and we're talking about the effect of smell on sexual arousal on the mating uh, process. Dr. Hirsch, I want to talk for a moment about the ovulatory cycle. There's a lot of evidence out there um, that when women's reproductive fertility peaks for a few days in the middle of their cycle around ovulation, that there's during this fertile window that there's adaptation to the attraction uh, experience on both sides with both men and women. And I read some really interesting studies about how women are more likely to uh, be attracted to uh, folks that have that MHC, that genetic marker that's more compatible during that period than they are outside of the ovulatory period. They're attracted to more um, masculine uh, elements like muscle tone, testosterone level, um, and that men also are can in effect smell when a woman is is ovulating at the unconscious uh, level. Is that the well, consensus you know, scientifically? Well, there's a there's a lot of evidence supporting that. I think what, one of the things we see is that is that people's olfactory ability vary 
not only in time in the month in terms of when the menstrual cycle is, but in times of day. So, for instance, at time of ovulation, one's olfactory ability tends to be greatest to potentially detect any pheromones that are present. Early in the morning, your sense of smell tends to be better than later in the day. And as you eat more, become more filled, your sense of smell drops down, except if you're drinking milk, it doesn't impact upon it. Um, in the in the summertime, in the spring, one sense of smell tends to be better than the winter, but that may have to do with the number of colds that one gets. So, so it is a there's a strong effect of, of in terms of evolutionarily, it makes so much sense. And if you can smell the major histocompatibility complex on another person when you're about to ovulate, then you would know whether there's somebody who's too close to you genetically to, to mate. So what we can see is that all these different things are coming together to suggest that one sense of smell is impacting upon our choices whether consciously or unconsciously. In term, so the question is, are we choosing mates because of our DNA and because of determinism, or is this something that's free will that we can truly choose who we want to, to, to uh, pair up with? So this major histocompatibility complex, this MHC, is kind of a genetic marker that we can detect through smells at, even at an unconscious level. It's so so critical as I understand it. Let, let me... Let me put it in really basic terms. If you're in a relationship and you are, let's let's start with being the turned off, and you're really somehow turned off by the partner's smell, uh, at least some some of the time, is is that a red flag? You know, is that is that something that is your is your body telling you this person is not the right genetic combination with me to procreate? That very well could be. That very well could be. Now, there's another way of looking at it too, and that is that it could be we as we tend to associate things that we don't like with being bad, bad smells. So if somebody is bad, we'll call them a stinker, or we'll say he smells bad or she smells bad. And what we might be doing is we might not like other aspects of a personality or his personality, and then interpret it into their odor. So if we dislike someone, we'll say. We, they smell bad, and that justifies our our negative feeling towards them. So it's hard to say which is the chicken and which is the egg here. Right, right. You could it could be psychosomatic. But it could be it could be a, absolutely it could be a yeah. psychological component to it, and it's much easier to distance ourselves from somebody because of something physical, because they smell bad, as opposed to because their personality is something that we dislike, or because we realize that ours and theirs are not compatible. Dr. Hirsch, a couple of last quick questions before we uh, come to the end of the hour from, from listeners. One is about the smell fingerprint. This listener reports that they've read that we each have a smell or olfactory fingerprint. Uh, like, like identifies us uh, is is that is that true and does it does it and, and I'm adding to the question does that change over our lives or is it the same from birth to death? Well, that's absolutely correct, and it does change somewhat. I mean, a lot of it's from our DNA, but there's other aspects to our fingerprint: the bacteria that we have in our skin, our diet, and all of these can impact upon it. But you you are 100 percent right that. Uh, just as our DNA that we leave, wherever we touch, we're leaving pieces of our DNA, we are exuding an an olfactory fingerprint wherever we go. 
And uh, ultimately, well, now we don't have the technology to really assess it. Ultimately, we will, just like we can uh, assess DNA now. We will, in, in the future, we'll be seeing olfactory fingerprint assessed. Okay. Listener named Lydia says that I can mention her name, so I'm doing so, uh, has heard that taking birth control pills can mask her natural odor. Is that true? Well, that's, that's one of the hypotheses that's been discussed. And the idea is that because we're regulating the menstrual cycle, we are therefore not allowing this, the olfactory ability to be the same. It's not, it tends not to be great at the time of ovulation then. And also... Uh, what happens is if we're releasing any pheromones, it may be re- reduced so that it doesn't, uh, it, there's no stimulus for, for uh, a uh, male to assess the, uh, to detect the pheromone and, and mate. So you're exactly right. But there's more than that. Other things that affect it as well. If we're using mouthwash, if we're taking sh- frequent showers, all of this can impact I would, upon I would imagine the odors that de- we exert. deodorant as well. Exactly, deodorant as well. So a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but is part of the message here that if you're out to find the right partner that has the right major histocompatibility complex MHC, the right genetic combination with you, be attracted for the rest of your life, that you should not wear deodorant so you can really, you know, smell smell each other, you can give off the right smell? (laughs) Well, that's at least one way. You know, the other thing is, is I would go to the gymnasium, and you can see if people are, that's where, Odors are coming out to the to the greatest degree, and you can get a better perspective. Right. By the way, I, I got a note from from a listener, and I, I did look at this article in my research. I'm sure Dr. Hirsch is is aware of it. We'll put it in the in the show notes. There's a, an article published uh, in 2012 that's a kind of a uh, Goes through all of the research that's been that was going on for about the twenty years prior on pheromones in sex and reproduction, and do they have a role in human? It's uh, humans. It was in the journal of Advanced Research, Tamor Mustafa, and you've got is the, is the primary author, Dr. Tamor Mustafa, and literally lists, I would say probably twenty or thirty different peer-reviewed, respected academic studies that that do correlate olfactory stimuli with various forms of uh, interactions, uh, everything from the, what's called the stepfather, um, uh, what, what this, the stepfather phenomenon, where uh, girls that, that grow up in a, in a home where there's a, a man that is past puberty, is not connected to them uh, genetically or more likely to reach puberty earlier. Uh, the studies that, that uh, Dr. Hirsch referred to earlier around synchronization of, of ovulatory cycles that I think a lot of people have heard for, about in popular culture. Check out this article by Tamor Mustafa, M-O-S-T-A-F-A. Good uh, primer on the subject. Dr. Hirsch, I want to have you back. I am fascinated by this connection between mating and smell. Um, and I really appreciate you joining us, being so open about this uh, topic and good-natured about it. Oh, it's been a pleasure to do a great job. And at some point, we can talk about what food you like and what it tells about your personality and who you should be dating. Sounds good. Topic for the next time. Thank you, Dr. Hirsch. See you next time. It's been week. a pleasure. And a prize to anyone next week who gets the connection between this song and the subject matter of this week's show.